and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're discussing a new Harvard Education Press book called Higher Education and Employability, New Models for Integrating Study and Work. We're here with the author, Peter Stokes. So, Peter, you have a unique background of knowing both the business world and the sort of university world, and, and this book kind of looks at the intersection of the two. I think people would probably look to find a, a little bit more deeper understanding of what collaboration truly means in this context. I know there's programs that have like a 3-2 program. There are, you know, you work some days, you go to class some other days. Northeastern, I think, is maybe a model for this. Um, but what is the sort of spectrum of collaboration between universities and, and work? And I'm sure, uh, you know, businesses can provide internships for students, but they can do a whole lot more as well. That's right. That's absolutely right. Now, there is a spectrum of points of collaboration. And as you say, a good number of examples of this kind of collaboration are out there, things like co-op, as you mentioned, or internships. One of the issues is not just sort of expanding the repertoire of possibilities of collaboration, but really changing the orientation around collaboration. So, for example, many universities think about this kind of co-curricular experience as an addendum to the academic experience or a sort of a bolt-on to the academic experience. And then students graduate, they're given a parachute, they get stuffed in the cannon, and then they get shot out into the labor market. Maybe they give them a knife and a compass and they fight their way through the forest and hopefully they find a job. I can't, I can't wait to read your, your book. I hope that made it in there. So, you know, if you're, if you're really integrating that co-curricular experiential learning with the academic piece, students are going to be reflecting on the interconnectedness of those things. And to do that effectively, you really need to bring employers into the dialogue so that you're designing both the curricular and the co-curricular activities in a way that map to where those folks are actually going to land when they do get a job. So there are things that we can do that expand upon experiences like co-op that are more extensive. But increasingly, there are things that we can do that are more micro and smaller. Just as we see instructor roles being atomized into course designers, instructors, assessors, et cetera, we see curriculum being increasingly modularized. And that can be true not just for this academic piece, but also for this experiential piece. So it can be problem-based learning. It can be a case-based model, like Harvard Business School is known for. Um, a whole wide variety of things. The important thing is, are those activities oriented toward not just pushing folks out into the market, but really connecting them in a more seamless way, a path to the careers that they want to develop? And that requires collaboration with the folks on the receiving end, the employers. So where do you see it in terms of a trend where in your book looks at several case studies, um, and I'm assuming you chose them for a particular reason. Uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in this new sort of relationship, this new collaboration? And, you know, scope it out five, ten years from now. What would be, what would, what should we be expecting as people on the university side versus people on the business side? And what can we do to get to this hopeful, good future in ten years? Well, I'll look out even a little bit further. One of the schools I take a look at in the book is Georgia Tech. And when Bud Peterson arrived as the new president at Georgia Tech in 2010, he did something unusual. He asked the campus to engage in a strategic planning process that looked out 25 years. Now, a typical strategic plan might look out five years. To, to look out 25 years, obviously, you need a crystal ball to do that effectively. But it was a thought experiment that got the campus thinking about what the university might really look like in 2035. And one scenario that they developed is 
you know, the residential experience is going to get smaller and smaller. Folks are going to spend less time on campus and more in the workplace. And it's not going to be a kind of one-and-done kind of experience where you come in, you get that bachelor's degree, you go off and goodbye and good luck. Folks are going to come back and top off their skills over and over and over again in the course of their career. Professional development. You know, especially as we live in this free agent economy where folks are really building their own careers. They're not going to work for one manufacturing company and staying for 30 years. So this sort of go away, come back, go away, come back, learn, get certified, deploy your skills, come back, learn some more, get certified, deploy your skills. That kind of a model is going to force some change in how institutions orient themselves to recruiting, to matriculating, to serving, to graduating, and to bringing back. You know, when I was a student, I actually did my undergraduate and my doctorate at the same institution. And that was actually considered a bad idea. You were viewed as having sort of a limited view of the world. Uh, Twenty years later, there isn't a college campus in the United States that doesn't think about retaining its graduates. They want to have a lifetime customer relationship. And so that's one of the ways, I think, in which we'll see this different kind of engagement with the employment ecosystem changing the way colleges and universities are. Yeah, I mean, I know Harvard likes to take them as undergrads. They like to get them their doctorates, and they like to hire them as their professors, too, even going that step further. So, so who is this book best for? Who needs to read this book? Obviously, our listeners, a lot of teachers, a lot of parents, a lot of educators. Um, who did you write this book for, and what is it that you hope happens after one's done reading this book? Well, what I hope happens is that we start a dialogue, and it's written for some diverse audiences. And so what I'd like to see is a dialogue that is taking place start to expand among those audiences. So certainly it's pitched at universities that are thinking about how do we foster work readiness on our campus. And that's likely to happen at the dean level or the associate dean level and, and at the faculty level. But we also need to get employers more engaged in conversation with universities. Of course, there are other audiences, uh, the, the government agencies, the public policy folks, the legislators who are making laws, creating incentives, and trying to um, address regional economic development. You know, those are key players as well. You know, to a lesser extent, parents need to be thinking about how to guide their children in college selection. Um, not to narrow cast and not to force them down vocational tracks at a very young age, but in fact to give them a wider view on what's possible and what some of the return on investment may be if you go down path A or B or C or D and so on. So it's really about engaging in a dialogue among all those different stakeholders. And Pick up the book, Higher Education and Employability, New Models for Integrating Study and Work, Harvard Education Press, HEPG.org. Peter, thanks for being on the show. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. Thank you.